Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Nostradamus's long-lost cousin, Nockreiner. You call yourself Nostradamus every single time that we have to talk about prediction. Hey, I added long-lost cousin. Okay. I'm creative and new. Creative. Creative in the same way as me reusing my friend's homework all through high school. <laughs> Speaking of bad grades, <laughs> on today's episode, we are going to be <laughs> recapping our 2021 cybersecurity predictions. <laughs> With that, let's go ahead and roll on it. How, how do you get a D to turn into an A? Oh, just we can just add a few little feet at the bottom of the mark. <laughs> that might work. My mom might not notice. So it's getting to be the end of year. I know I'm crap. Thanksgiving is going to be coming up like a week away from the time people actually listen to this. How did that happen, Mark? I I mean, I I saw something talking about, oh, New Year's Eve, the New York. I'm like, what the? I feel like 2021 barely started. And now we're it's Christmas and Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent on that. Um, But so with the end of the year and the upcoming new year, uh, one of the things that WatchGuard Threat Lab likes to do is throw out our inner or cybersecurity predictions for the coming year. And yeah, those those super accurate things <laughs> that we have tons of evidence around. <laughs> I, I kid, but as we say a lot, uh, we're we're making fun predictions based on trends. Focus on the trends more than the yep. predictions. And while we aren't ready to share our predictions for next year yet, they are coming soon. Just not able to spill the beans quite yet. What we can do in the meantime is take a look back to our predictions for 2021 and go through our gradings on how we did. Yep. Unlike other predictors who just throw them out and leave, we do come back and judge ourselves. And we've had good years, by the way. We've 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 had a, some C pluses and a B. I don't think we've ever had an A, uh, but we've had some Ds too. So <laughs> let's go ahead and judge ourselves, Mark. I feel like if we got an A. Like it means that we're not our predictions are boring. I, I agree. I'll also, if we got an A, I would not like the world we live in because often <laughs> we're 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 going pretty dystopian with where trends could take us. Remember again, I, I just I want to state the point of these predictions. It's a fun way to talk about real trends. Like the trends underlying every single one of these predictions is still, in my opinion, true today, even though you're going to hear some predictions failing. So know that we have some tongue in cheek fun. No one can predict the future, especially when you're talking about things like, uh, I don't know, cyber wars and stuff like that. Uh, but, but you know, the trends are real. We, we, we are kidding, but what you can practically get from this is the underlying trends are real, and we do talk about the protections that go with that. Yep. So with that, we had eight predictions for 2021, and how we typically go through this is we'll reback the prediction, give ourselves a grade of a, a win, a fail, or a meh, meh being, you know, kind of hit it, not really, but, you know, I'd like to at least give myself half a point for that one. Um, and then we'll go over like what we thought caused the prediction to hit or fail, why we think it failed, if that was the case, and you know potentially what we might be looking forward in the future. There have been historically some predictions where we got it right. We we, we got it right. Early. Exactly. Quite a few, actually. I mean, uh, do realize with predictions, you're always kind of looking future forward. So it's, it's not surprising when some hit a few years later. 
So without any further ado, and for time's sake, let's go ahead and jump right in. And we'll start with our first prediction for this year, which was titled, Automation Drives a Tidal Wave of Spearfishing Campaigns. And the bulk of this prediction was, like, phishing has turned into spearfishing predominantly now as a strong method of initiating an attack. But spearfishing emails, because they include detailed information about either the recipient or the organization unit they're a part of, they're typically high investment, but on the flip side, potentially high reward because, again, they're significantly more believable. Um, and because, just to be clear, the high investment is typically in the threat actor having to learn something about their target before they can start to fish them. Yep. Figuring out who you work for, work with, like how you typically communicate internally, all those what department little, you're in. Yeah. Yep. All those can be used to make a message more believable. And so our prediction revolved around uh, kind of the rise in AI and automation, potentially making this easier to scale and mass. Basically, using automated tools to piece everything together from social network, social media scraping to potentially even automatically writing the message itself using some of these AI tools we've seen to then and, sending it off to recipients. And these automated tools on both sides of this prediction exist today. Like for instance, the automated tools that can spam, not only send emails, but add customization for individual people in an email, that exists today. What, what was lacking is the reconnaissance or work the attacker would have to do to learn about someone. But there are both good guy and bad guy automated tools today now that will show you relationships where you can put in a domain and get all kinds of addresses, where you can have an email address and see interconnected email addresses. For instance, if you know Corey at watchguard.com, that's not my real address, by the way. Uh, you know, you might see that, oh, wait, this Corey also has a Gmail account, a Yahoo account. You know, and these tools basically use uh, open source intelligence, uh, you know, social media, uh, public information at government sites. So our point was there's automated tools to learn connections between people, businesses and things. And there's automated tools already for sending this and adding a little customization that's individualized. But what the attackers have to do to bring this together they could then start to automate Spearfish itself. The other thing that generated this prediction was more also anecdotal in that I personally, I think it was at the end of 2019, I think, had some emails that I got repeatedly uh, that looked very, you know, I, I got them enough to feel like they were being automated. They weren't being hand sent by someone, but they always included my name, my role in WatchGuard. And yet they were still messed up enough in their grammar and writing that it was obviously a bad email. And by the way, some of the mess ups made me think it was automated. So between those tools, that's why we thought that maybe this year there would be a huge increase in phishing because they would finally use these tools to not have to have a, as much manual labor, which would be bad, obviously, by the way. You know, uh, Mark's already said why phishing is a, a, a better investment for a bad guy. They have much higher returns. So if attackers can send them in volume easier, that would be not great. <laughs> yeah, that would be not great. But for the sake of making this year's prediction, the grade I gave it was actually a fail. Like while you said the individually all these tools exist, we didn't see any strong evidence that someone had pieced them together in any widespread way. 
Yeah, we can't find any evidence from our, our own, you know, we do see emails and domains that bad guys are using. And so we, we're not seeing anything from our own threat intelligence or external threat intelligence that show spear phishing has really increased big time because of automation. But we mentioned like some of these, they're just before their time. And I do feel like this is one that is absolutely before its time and will eventually hit. Like it, it I, makes sense. I'm with you. It's a matter of uh, a when, not if, because I, I, I mean, I know these tools exist. I mean, uh, criminal organizations are not dumb. Marketing uses this exact same automation <laughs> yes. to send marketing. The I ultimate mean, spear fishers. I, I we we know you can do this. We know you can do this. I, I will even say that attackers aren't necessarily lazy. They're just smartly efficient. Why even bother doing? a better tool to do something a little better when the easiest thing is still working. So my guess is attackers are still making plenty of money doing it the old way. There's no real need for them to add a little something that gives a little more lure to an email. So like you you say, don't know what year it will happen, but I bet you this will happen. Yep. Uh, so let's move on then to our second prediction, which was titled cloud hosting providers crack down on cyber abuse. And so this prediction revolved around some of our even own firsthand threat intelligence, where we've seen, if you've followed our DNS section of the quarterly internet security report, um, a lot of cloud hosting providers and some subdomains registered off of them continue to pop up for phishing campaigns. Like these days, any attacker can go out and register an account on AWS or Google Cloud or Azure, and then use those services to host whatever they want. Uh, it could be you know, just data, a database, or a straight up website that is then publicly available on the internet, piggybacking off of these domains. And so our prediction was these style of attacks are gonna become so pervasive that cloud hosting providers are gonna crack down on abuse uh, and leverage automated tools and policy changes to try and rein back in some of this. Now, this isn't to say that they weren't already, you know, removing obviously fraud websites and things like that, but Really, there would be a renewed focus on trying to crack down on some of these attacks and phishing campaigns that abuse cloud hosting. And for this prediction, I actually gave us a win on this one. Now, it it wasn't. I, I'm not, I'll I'd say it's like a 75% win because if we were true to the letter of the prediction, it would be cracking down on like abusing cloud storage that for like phishing campaigns, but. There was actually some renewed focus by cloud service providers on just general cloud security and attacks leveraging cloud resources like project. I think it was Project Freda, it was called from Microsoft, which is basically a tool from their research team uh, to track down memory resident malware in cloud workloads. And so I think that was enough to give this a win, at least in my opinion. What are your thoughts, Corey? I agree. And I my, my thoughts are actually like, I, I think this is enough to give us a win. We know this has happened because of Frida and is going to continue to happen even more. And we actually know that despite all the crap we sometimes give big tech companies, uh, when, when Google and Microsoft set their mind or, or the, the Amazons of the world set their mind to automating uh, blocking malicious things. It tends to work just because of the wealth of the information they're seeing with so many customers. Uh, one question I would have is we, you know, part of this prediction is we see the data all the time, like Mark said, in the DNS section of our DNS report. I am aware that we do still have uh, some, you know, legitimate cloud hosting domains show up there. 
but I tell me if this impression is wrong because I haven't gone back and looked for a while. But for the four quarters of the year before versus the four quarters, I, I feel like I'm seeing SharePoint a little less rather than having it three times on a, you know, I, I, on the phishing or compromise site list. We're seeing it maybe one time. <laughs> I think from a completely anecdotal, yes, uh, yeah. you are correct. It, we are seeing subdomains of SharePoint show up less in our data quarter to quarter. Yeah. And that that is, I have we haven't gone back to look at you know how many hits that SharePoint link had overall the the two years, but uh, when we write the report, it does seem less, which suggests that maybe protections are getting better, so it's not as lucrative for bad guys to try to do. Either way, that's still one and one for us right now, which. That's pretty We're good. still in the, uh, I, I grade us by, that's uh, 50%. We still have an F at this point, right? I tried to convince my parents that was passing when I was in school, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> not Tell that to my mom. Success. I wish you could have convinced my mom. I, I don't think I... <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to our third prediction, uh, which was titled Hackers Infest Home Networks with Worms. And this one revolved around, again, because of the pandemic, the global workforce shift to, at least in the professional workforce, a lot of working remotely and working from home would open up additional avenues of potential attack for corporate systems. And so, and in, and, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Basically, as like you and I are working from home on our corporate issued laptop, cyber criminals would recognize that as a potential avenue of attack and create and deploy worms, so self-propagating malware, they would specifically look for these company-owned laptops from like smart devices or other infections, hit them, and then potentially use VPN access to gain access to a corporate network. And to be even more specific, and by the way, one of the reasons this was probably a fail is I saw no evidence of the part I'm about to say, but I was actually kind of extrapolating what I what I would do as a black hat, which is so maybe not necessarily it's a smart device that got hacked. Maybe it's a the laptop itself got malware. But I even went as far as saying the malware would look for signs of a VPN. And there's ways to do that, by the way. A VPN leaves a virtual adapter that if, if, if you have malware sitting on a computer, it's pretty easy to do route commands and see the routes and to do just uh, uh, Windows commands to see the network adapters, including the if, if you're using Microsoft VPN or X brand name company like WatchGuard VPN, the, the VPN, the virtual VPN adapters that show up are pretty obvious. And then all you have to do in the routes is, is see, okay, what is the private network route? So I went as specific as saying the malware would be designed to be looking for those VPN connections and the worm would specify, I actually want to use, you know, I, I want to try to infect this private network that I know is through the VPN tunnel. That was what I would call a, a, a future forward, a future looking Hail Mary one, because we have not seen malware designed to do that. And even if I, you know, so that is an outright fail. We still haven't seen it. Uh, that's a good thing. I hope bad guys don't get my idea and use it. Uh, but even if you ignored how detailed I got, uh, we have definitely seen home networks still get infected, and there's probably been incidents of companies being breached through that, but we haven't really seen a, a worm that was specifically targeting corporate laptops, I think is what we both would agree, right, Mark? Yep, I would agree, and unfortunately, that brings us down to a 33.3 .3 repeating. 
fail or success yeah. rate right now, which is not ideal. How can, if you can calculate uh, those type of repeating fractions, you obviously didn't get a 50% in math. That's like basic algebra. That's true. I'm decent at that. That's a good, the that's calculus a good point. I failed three times in a row that I'm not so great at. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Uh, don't even uh, try nonlinear dynamics. Oh, boy. Uh, anyways, let's move on to the next prediction, which was titled booby-trapped smart chargers lead to smart car hacks. And so this one revolved around electronic vehicles and smart cars are they're continuing to gain traction. Like crap, Tesla stock is through the roof these days. Um, and as they become more and more common, they'll potentially become a wider attack surface and get more attention from cyber criminals. And while there has been plenty of research into smart car security or just car security in general, it's been a long time since we actually saw a big or at least uh, newsworthy attack. Like the the original Jeep Chrysler attacks were what, like five, six, eight years ago now, quite some time ago. And since then, while there's plenty of research into automobile security at like DEF CON every year, there hasn't been anything big. So our prediction was that in 2021, we would see another smart car hack. And in order to accomplish it, the hacker would leverage smart chargers in order to do it. Uh, this was definitely a Hail Mary. Uh, I, though, gave us a grading of a meh on it. Not yeah. a total fail. By the way, I, I wouldn't say it's a total Hail Mary because uh, you'll you'll probably share why it's not a total fail. But this was in part, there was one researcher in 2020, even before what I think you'll share in 2021, who had researched, uh, in this case, it was just one company. I'll, I'll let you share the, the main part of it. But this was based on at least one researcher ha who had found something in this area too. The, the other part of it is, it's obvious why even that 2020 researcher was looking. I, I, I think I used the peanut butter and chocolate uh, analogy for this prediction you know we know smart cars can be hacked or, or even not fully smart cars just computer you know drive-by-wire cars can be hacked and we know that uh, mobile devices have been hacked through charging mechanisms whether it be granted a mobile device's charging mechanism is also a data transit mechanism but you know if you take the idea that smart cars are a new iot target similar to mobile devices and we know that charging has been a threat vector for mobile de devices. Instead of a pure Hail Mary, this is just an extrapolation of two things and bringing it together, combined with the fact that there was a researcher who was looking into this and found something before. And the main thing, part of the trend of this prediction was that while a, a, a car charger doesn't have a, a USB data channel, it does have a data channel. I mean, it's because it's a smart car and the charging is complex. What you're plugging that device into is actually a server that uses a data channel to monitor the charging in lots of different ways to allow for it, sometimes even to pay for it. Uh, so it, the car charger is more than just plugging it into the wall. There's a data channel happening with these car, car chargers. Yep. So the reason we gave it a meth, though, and not just an outright fail, is that while there weren't any cars hacked through a smart charger, there was some pretty significant security research into the chargers themselves, though. Um, Pentest Partners, who, if you've ever been to a cybersecurity conference or even like a tech conference, you've probably seen their booth of them talking about hacking oil rigs and things like that. They actually did some research in August of this year 
into electric vehicle chargers and found some pretty significant vulnerabilities in them, like things ranging from lack of authorization or low authorization that could enable account takeover for whatever the platform was, uh, physical uh, security issues with like using Raspberry Pis without firmware signing or secure bootloaders that could allow someone to tamper it. Basically, a lot of flaws that could let them compromise the charger itself and potentially the entire charging network. But we didn't see that jump from the charger into the car. Uh, that said, you know, maybe they just didn't look far enough and maybe their budget didn't include a Tesla. But it was still like, I I think it's okay to give it a pretty loose meh in this case of there was research. There were a wide number of chargers and charging networks they found flaws in and some of them pretty serious. But there wasn't that jump from chargers to cars. I could even give us a, 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 a strong map because if you, while I know our, our titles sometimes kind of are different than the actual written text of the prediction. Uh, and, you know, while it, uh, we say it leads to smart car hacks, one of the, I mean, one, we said researchers and Black Hat alike could do this. So we didn't. That's, to me, that means we weren't saying a wild of in the wild event that was a black hat event would happen. We would say researchers would find this is a vector. Uh, the other thing we said, you know, if if we're trying to share the impact of this, if proven, this is a direct quote of the prediction. If proven, an attack like this could even result in car ransomware that prevents your car from charging until you pay. And, and that's not hacking the car; that's hacking the charger so that it can't charge your car which I believe this research confirms for the one uh, thing that did affect the server that you would, uh, you know, did, that would allow you to put a backdoor into the owner's home network and, and turn the charger into a backdoor. And I, I would posit that might, I, I'd have to look into the detail of this research, but that might actually allow that home charger not to charge the car potentially. So, you know, if, if, if you were interpreting the headline as the charger would be a vector to make your car drive off the highway, that, that would have certainly been a fail, whether theoretical or not. But I think in the prediction, we weren't necessarily, I, I, at least in my mind, Mark, I wasn't necessarily saying the car had to be hacked directly. It's just the car charger would do something that, that would impede the car, specifically the the ransomware that makes the car not be able to charge until you pay something. And that could just be more on the charger side than the car itself. Okay. You know what? You've convinced me. I'm going to change this to a win also so we can get back to 50%. Yeah. 50% would have been better than what, what is half of, so we, we would, would have, have had been a, a one and a half. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So that makes me feel a little better. 37.5. Yeah, that would have been great. But 50% still failing in your eyes and my parents' eyes, but yep. not horrible. Um, so let's move on to number five, which is users revolt over smart device privacy. And so this one was, I came about, actually, I think it was right after that with the whole Amazon sidewalk thing of basically... Yeah, I I agree. Only, I feel like that is the that is the impact. That's the one that uh, I think really peeved us into this one. <laughs> which, if you're not familiar with Amazon Sidewalk, it's basically not only do you have all your Alexa devices or Alexa-enabled devices listening in your house, communicating with each other, potentially video cameras, all that, but now instead of just using your own Wi-Fi connection, they basically can form a mesh with your neighbor's devices, and that mesh can extend through the whole neighborhood to allow other devices to eventually 
relay traffic through your own network. In, in, other, in other words, Amazon was selling this as good guy Amazon. Hey, look, you can access Siri and Alexa wherever you are, uh, even on the sidewalk in your neighborhood. It doesn't matter. You don't need a Wi-Fi network. You can just access it because we're good guys. In reality, they're, uh, we're piggybacking off of everyone's network and we're doing this because we want to watch you wherever you are, even when you're not on your darn Wi-Fi network. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And that's basically like the crux of the issue is that like these digital assistants, they're everywhere now. Uh, we've got VR systems that can 3D map your room owned by Facebook. I mean, Meta, like there's <laughs> a huge amount of data. I'll never that, get used to that. Yeah. Huge amount of data that we are giving up to organizations. And like over time, there have been individual instances where users have been like, wait a minute, what the heck? Usually after like a big breach or some big... Uh, at least breach of trust, like with the Cambridge Analytica stuff with Facebook. Um, but there hasn't been like a big drastic push, at least in the consumer IoT space, for more serious regulations or at least privacy considerations for organizations. So our prediction was users will revolt and make vendors take privacy for home and consumer IoT devices more seriously. And to be honest, this in some way was a double down. I, I can't remember if it was the immediate year before or two years before, but this was very much related to another prediction we made a, in years before where we said there would be IoT specific regulation too. So really we're doubling down on this. And in a way, regardless of what we get on this, uh, this also seems like something that will definitely eventually happen, I think. But how, what, what did we get on this, Mark? I gave it a meh. So... I don't think it's a win because there wasn't any big like, oh, man, we got to make sure our Alexa is all secured now. Like, I didn't see anything like that. But we did see at least a major win for privacy with a organization that does have a lot of these smart devices, including your favorite VR headset, Corey. And that's Facebook, who announced that they thanks, are ending... Thanks for enumerating my network and letting everyone in the world know what they might want to attack. What a good, <laughs> what a good security friend. I'm kidding. It is my yes. favorite headset. I can't, I can't deny that. And so I probably, I've probably said it myself in the past. If you've listened to the news in the last month, you'll know that at least in some places, Facebook has announced they're ending their facial recognition. Now, that said, it doesn't sound like that's actually going to extend to their VR platform. I bet that's still going to be a piece of it there. In fact, it kind of has to be for some of their metaverse plans with it. I, I think they retracted a... the statement because you, you need facial recognition for some of the things you would do to show avatars in VR. But it was a, a privacy win, at least like adjacent to this area, which is why I gave it a meh. I also think it's a, a hole in the dam of a lot of privacy when that will happen, because besides this happening, Meta, Facebook, ABCD, Alphabet, whatever the heck you call companies now that always change their name. Soon Facebook's just going to be like Prince to be some symbol that I won't be able to pronounce. But whatever you call facebook you know they've also been in court all year for privacy violations so you know, things like cambridge analytical are just repeating and getting bigger and bigger not to mention besides privacy validation what to censor what not to censor are they a utility yeah so big enough they I, had to change their name they want the comcast xfinity route to try and yeah. get some of the flack off forget how bad we are we're someone new now 
so yeah, I, I, I agree with you that May is probably the ultimate grade, but I actually think that that one little thing is probably a sign of some big changes that will continue to happen. So I think uh, while, while we're, we're self-deprecating, we don't mind being honest, I, I think this one will be a win in the next few years no matter what. But until then, we somehow maintain our 50% grading with a two and a half out of five now. So Yay. go us. <laughs> Let's see if we can make it a passing grade, though. Who's, um, going to be, but... who's going to be our tutor if we don't? I mean, we have to go to, I don't know. <laughs> Who in our, we'll have to go to our panda malware researchers. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so moving on to our next prediction. Attackers swarm VPNs and RDPs as remote workforce as the remote workforce swells so this can is I another make, can i make a joke in that uh we've talked about hail mary predictions where we're actually sticking our neck out and being very futuristic and we know it's actually a smaller chance this one is the give me prediction <laughs> <laughs> like this one I, I i could have even argued with us like this isn't a prediction this is kind of already happening it's the free but, bingo square yeah so thank goodness for that by the way because maybe it will get our grade point average up this is like the bonus question from the teacher that allows us to improve the 50 did you spell your name correctly <laughs> yes, you did, did you at least put something in the line that asked you to add your name <laughs> <laughs> so to expand on this prediction, though, basically, again, because of the pandemic and the shift to a remote workforce, uh, at least predominantly across many professional jobs, um, organizations had to quickly spin up ways to facilitate those remote workers. And they did that through a few different ways. Preferably, they were using VPNs, virtual private networks, to securely allow remote access back into their network. But sometimes they were just straight up exposing RDP and other remote access protocols to the internet, uh, which is not the way you should be doing it. Uh, because like you said, Corey, even in 2020 and crap, even in 2019, we were seeing some of these remote services being hammered by cyber criminals. Um, so RDP is one of the most attacked services on the internet. And while VPNs do make it a bit more secure, an attacker could still potentially gain access to it and then gain basically a backdoor into the corporate network. So our prediction for this was Attacks against RDP, VPN, and other remote connected services will double in 2021. So we put a number on it. It wasn't just that they're going to increase because that would be way too dang easy. We said we think they're going to double. And we actually, based off of this cherry pick data that I grabbed, I'm giving <laughs> us a win. <laughs> um, so ESET actually released their threat report for uh trimester two i believe is how they do it they do theirs every four months which makes me a little envious that that's a little less work we'd have to do if we did that but anyways in their uh what the heck is a trimester my goodness broken out by four months instead of three no I, nice. I i know I, I get it but who, who uses trimester it is weird yes but in their t2 report for 2021 they reported that rdp attacks against unique clients or ID, rdp attacks per unique client doubled from 1,392 per machine per day in T1 2021 to 2,756 in the second trimester. So it literally doubled for this cherry By the way, stat. I shouldn't be saying woohoo to that. That sounds like a horrible thing. And yet it does prove us right. So yeah. And I mean, yes, this is a cherry pick stat, but you know, it is across the board. Subjectively, RDP attacks are going up. Remote ac remote access attacks are going up. There's been some pretty high profile let, ones let, this yeah. year too. Let, 
let's we'll talk about high profile but let's talk vpn this gets more anecdotal because you know it's this one was always going to be hard for us to really attract uh, to track quantitatively because there's not tons of great data when people have hacks through VPN. But just to talk the VPN side of things before we talk about remote service attacks, uh, there's been a number of VPN flaws that were heavily leveraged this year. Uh, again, I'm not trying to pick on companies, so I'll start with that. But Pulse Secure, a VPN vendor, had a VPN flaw, I actually think before this year in 2020, that they patched. But during the year, it was uh, many of their customers hadn't updated it. Uh, some attacker realized VPN weaknesses. They scanned the internet for unpatched machines. They found and hijacked many customer Pulse Secure devices, and they stole all the VPN credentials. Once they had their, they used this basically remote root level access to steal credentials, certificates, and now even if the folks patched, if they didn't change their credentials, the VPNs were hijacked. Uh, don't don't like throwing dirt at our competitors, even though they're competitors. I you know, but Fortinet also had a very big VPN issue that was heavily leveraged, ex, you know, by by hackers in the wild, again to steal credentials. Again, it, it in both those cases, the vendor had patched the issue before, so to some extent, it was the clients not updating. But we've seen multiple cases and multiple big vulnerabilities in security products, VPN specifically, that attackers heavily took advantage of in 2020 because they realized the weakness. And you were talking about there's some companies that had high-profile remote access-based attacks too, right, Mark? Yeah, like Colonial Pipeline is the big one. That one was because of a uh, compromised credential that allowed them to VPN into their management network at that point. So... Pretty serious one there as well. A smaller one that was still very newsworthy was that small town in Florida, Oldsmar, had a water supply hack where someone got in through remote access software um, and upped the uh, the levels of lie in the water supply to dangerous levels. Luckily, that one was caught and turned around. But like there have been more attack, or maybe not more subjectively, but there have been some high-profile attacks against VPNs. Yeah. So you joke about cherry picking, but I think it's very hard not to agree that remote access, especially VPN and RDP, were very targeted. Takeaway here is is you really shouldn't be exposing RDP publicly in, in our opinions. Uh, it, it's not that RDP is bad. There's safe ways to use it. But one, we, we do want to put, even though VPN is targeted to, we do want to put VPN ahead of it. But the, the second thing is MFA, MFA, MFA. You know, uh, the remote access, you have to allow some, but you need to have multi-factor. Now that they may not help you when there's some zero day that's pre-authentication, but for Colonial Pipeline, it absolutely would have helped you. So so make sure to limit mobile access, remote access. And, and, you know, I will even say our security policy for our company is remote access of any kind has to be with multi-factor authentication. Uh, you know, as a company, you'll always find times where someone accidentally didn't comply. So you have to find and close those holes. But you should not allow remote access at all unless you have MFA. And I would avoid exposing RDP to the Internet. Yep, 100%. So that gets us, what, three and a half out of six. So if we use the 60% threshold as a D minus, then we're almost Ooh, we there. We passed. No, we're not yet. We're almost passing. Almost. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the seventh prediction, though, which was titled, Attackers Pinpoint Security Gaps in Legacy Endpoints. 
And this one revolved around the end of life of Windows 7 and Server 2008 over the last year or so, although they are in extended support now, where basically if you pay a crap load of money, you can still get some security updates. Um, but basically, even though they're end of life, like many organizations are still historically slow to move off of old versions of Windows. Like Windows XP still floats around all over the place out there, unfortunately. And I would even argue that 2008 and 7 are probably very common, despite the fact that 10 was quickly adopted. Yeah. Uh, and so even... it let, yeah, sorry. Anyway, sorry. XP should at least be a trickle amount now, but Windows 7 is probably all over the place. Yeah, because it was so popular. Like typically, if yeah. it's a popular OS, it's going to stick around for a while. And more to so that in, in add to it, the immediate following one eight was not popular, which led people to probably want to keep seven for quite a bit before ten came out. Yep. So even though, uh, so actually, our prediction was we predict that at least one major new Windows seven vulnerability will surface in twenty twenty one as attackers continue to find and target flaws in legacy endpoints, and. I gave us a win on this one, but it kind of feels like a dirty win in that basically there were some pretty serious flaws found in Windows 7 throughout the course of the year, like Print Nightmare being a big one, several others as well. The reason I feel kind of dirty giving it as win is because in reality, there are flaws in Windows, not Windows 7 specifically, and it's just because of code reuse that they were present in all of them. I... But I don't think we discounted that. I don't think that's, I think the more dirty part is probably more around extended support. Because to me, that's always the case with old vulnerabilities. Like if I found a flaw in Windows XP, there's code reuse of XP even, although hopefully less and less, that could still be in Windows 11. So I'm not discounting, the, the issue with the legacy system isn't that it doesn't affect other versions of Windows 2. It's that the legacy, it's whether or not the legacy system can easily be patched. To me, the only dirty part about this is you could get extended support as you pointed out. And the other dirty part that I think we, we said in our pre original prediction ex uh, episode and maybe even the text of this is the truth is Microsoft lately has been good guy Microsoft. When XP was completely end of life, there was no extended support. They have occasionally for the biggest vulnerabilities released a patch anyways. So I, I think you and I know that even in the worst case, if there is a vulnerability big enough, even in Windows XP today, there's a chance that Microsoft might decide to patch it. So it kind of, it, it, it validates the fact that legacy endpoints are totally risky. But I, I, th I think there was lots of vulnerabilities in Windows 7. And technically, uh, unless you had extended support, you probably, you know, unless Microsoft did something special, it might have been hard to patch. And that's ultimately what this is trying to tell you. Ultimately, remember, the, the trends we're trying to show you is... <laughs> Sometimes old software gets more attention from bad guys simply because they know it's harder for you to correct the issue. Uh, like if you have an old Apache server lying around <laughs> for whatever reason uh, that's not being supported anymore, maybe a bad guy will ex do special effort to find a new vulnerability there knowing you can't fix it very easily without entirely updating Apache to a version that you've obviously chosen not to go to already. So I, I think I think the win is, the win here is pretty clear. You just got to realize that when we say these end of life for, or these end of service versions are 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 not patched, 
That is a true statement, but there's caveats because Microsoft sometimes helps out. Yep. Either way, I'm giving us a win, which does get us a technically passing grade so far of 64%. So Wow. So far, so good. So if my count is correct, we're at four and a half out of seven, which is decent. <laughs> Not the best, but, you know. So uh, at the so very good. worst, it's a little better than, at, at least I know we'll get above 50%, even if we miss everything coming up, you know. Yeah. It, it still will be kind of half seas, <laughs> but it's a little more than 50%. Hooray. And so with that, <laughs> let's go to our final prediction for the year, which was, Every service without multi-factor authentication will suffer a breach. And so for this Can I just say this one was always going to fail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think even when we gave the predictions, I'm like, this is our bold prediction. We're trying to make a point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's let's stop for a second about the point we were trying to make. And that's basically like we've seen authentication attacks and data breaches. They're like a daily occurrence now. Like every Gosh, single day, there's hourly. millions of more usernames and passwords up for sale or for free on underground forums. It's another website getting hit by another credential stuffing attack. Like it's it's just a fact of life these days. And now we're seeing like these giant troves of like literally billions of passwords and usernames in plain text available for free from like torrent links all over the place. And attackers are using these for additional attacks against organizations now. Like you can go out there and for like 10 bucks or for free, get a whole bunch of usernames and passwords and just try them against accounts and see what sticks basically. And Microsoft, I, there's been alerts recently about increases in credential spraying and credential stuffing. So these, you know, the types of attacks Mark's talking about are happening all the time. And even the biggest organizations have to report that, hey, we're seeing a lot of this credential spraying going on. Yep. So our prediction was that because of the volume of these credentials available, basically every service that doesn't have multi-factor authentication will suffer a breach or an account compromise. Every single one. And by going off of that, every single one, I think we have to give it a fail because I'm willing to bet that 100% we're, we're of services out there. Do. Yeah. And, and to be quite fair to us, I, I, I guess I can't speak for you, Mark, but I never believed everyone that this was truly a point prediction making a point I, I i would even give us over the years like if you go 10 years in time everything that's not having multi-factor is eventually going to get popped and 20 years from now every you know smart people will have any public available authentication or login will have multi-factor so you know, this is this is one that we have to give ourselves a failure because we're just pedantic people that go by the rules. But the the truth is, you know, we still believe this. We still believe with every bit. If you're exposing logins to the internet for anything that's of any value or confidentiality, you you shouldn't you should add multi-factor to it. Period. It's going to get popped one day. Yep. So unfortunately, though, that was a fail which does bring us down to four and a half out of eight, which is a 0.56%. So maybe like if a D minus was a thing, I'd give us a D minus, but it, you know, you all know what it is. It's a fail. <laughs> you mean a 56%. I get where you're going. You're thinking oh, yes. 0.56 of one 0. is 56%. 56%. <laughs> 
if it were 0.56%, we would definitely have to go to summer school and have our uh, CISSPs and our creds all removed. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, though, like 50% is usually where we end up with these predictions. So I'm still going to give us a pat on the back. Like we did a decent job and we were bold enough that we didn't hit on everything. And and I also think that the the stuff we missed, a lot of it will still, the, the general trends behind it, and maybe even the exact prediction will come true. I will say that the predictions coming up, I, I think we only went with six, so I'll, we'll disclose that much information. But there's some exciting ones. I mean, there's a few that are probably obvious, but there's some that are definitely out there in that they're bold. Uh, but I actually think that uh, in time would still come true. So it'd be fun to share those with you coming up soon. Yeah, looking forward to that for sure. Um, and when they do release, obviously you'll hear about them on this podcast, but also watchguard.com slash predictions is where we house all of them as well as our fun little marketing videos that we make along the way. And this year's videos, I'm pretty dang excited to share, mostly because I'm not eating hot sauce in them. <laughs> it's, we won't give it away, but it, I think it'd be a fun one despite my lack of acting skills. And by the way, we'll we'll talk about it on Secplicity too. Well, at least to give you a post to remind you of that prediction link. Yep, hundred uh, percent. So with that, you know, pat on the back, above fifty percent yeah. could have been worse. Hey, if if we're honest, let's hope we get less right next year, and then it's a safer cyber world. There we go. We get a crisp high five anytime we get zero percent on our predictions. So good luck to us. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics, suggestions for future episode topics, or if you want to give us your own predictions for us to chat about in one of our upcoming episodes, reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and actually next week's Thanksgiving, so you probably won't hear from us then, but you will hear hear from us the following week. Dude, tweet us your predictions. I can promise, like, for, for any prediction we talk about on the 443, I can send you some sort of watch guard swag or sh- shirt. Mark might even let me send you a badge or something, so yeah. Any prediction we say on our show, we'll get something to Give you. Give us your predictions. Ciao. <laughs>